we thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for this feast that we are in and that this is the last day. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us. We know, Father Yahweh, that all good gifts are from you. And we pray especially for the gift of your son, Yash the Messiah, and what he did for us by sacrificing his life so that we might have the hope of everlasting life. And we pray and certainly thank you for his resurrection and uh, in, in turn, that we have a promise of our own resurrection. So we simply praise you, and we give you grace and honor and esteem, and we pray that your blessings would be upon us. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. I'd like to welcome all those uh, few here and all those watching online. It's a blessing to uh, be here today and to uh, be part of this service. Where today I want to talk about what we are calling the unleavened bread miracle. And really what we're referring to is Yahshua's resurrection. Yahshua's resurrection from the grave. You know, this one event changed the entire world, including giving rise to the largest religion to date. It provided a way of salvation for all of mankind. You know, Yahshua not only had to die, and this is something I, I don't think we really talk enough about, Yahshua not only had to die, but he also had to rise from the grave if we would have any hope of everlasting life. You see, he had to rise from that grave. Yahshua had to do this, and we know that he did. You know, through his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. And through his resurrection, he's given us the hope of one day being born again. Born again, meaning that we're going to be born again with a new body, born again as spirit beings in the resurrection to eternal life when he returns. You know, as we know, this is what this feast prophetically represents. It's what it prophetically foreshadows, the resurrection of our Savior. Talk a lot about the Passover and his death, but, you know, I don't hear us talk a lot about his resurrection, especially during this time, and it's important that we do. It's important that we look back, that we understand, that we acknowledge the resurrection, and what that means for us. You know, again, just as he had the victory over death, we also know that he had the victory over the grave, that he was resurrected, and that we, in turn, will be resurrected if we're found worthy. You know, when it comes to Yahshua's resurrection from the grave, we can never say enough. There's, there's nothing we could say to really convey how great this moment was. You know, besides creation itself, I believe that this was the most transformative event in the history of mankind. The, the day that Yahshua rose from the grave was the most transformative event in the history of mankind. You know, without it, we would be lost in our sins, and we would have no hope of the resurrection to life. That's how important this one is, this event is. So today I want to focus on Yahshua's resurrection. I'm going to do so from the Evangel of Luke. But before that, I want to spend a few minutes with a few other things, including first fruits. What is first fruits? What does it mean? Why is it important? Well, I want to open up with uh, Leviticus 23, verse 10. Leviticus 23, verse 10, it says here, starting in verse 10 through 14, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying to them, When you be come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall bring a sheaf, or an omer, of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And you shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So the morrow after the Sabbath, that would be the Sunday during the feast. It says, and you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf 
a male or a he lamb without a blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto Yahweh. In the meat offering there shall be two tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto Yahweh for a sweet savor. In the drink offering there shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the self same day that you have brought an offering unto your Elohim. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now, this is such an important passage. You know, we see a description here of the wave sheaf offering. The wave sheaf offering. Now, what do we know about this? Well, we know that this was the first fruits of the barley harvest. This was the very first portion that came out of the field. You know, in fact, we see from Deuteronomy 16, verse 9, and also from Jewish antiquity, including from Josephus and also the Mishnah, that the Israelites could not harvest until this offering took place. That's such an important point to understand. They could not harvest until this offering was done. And, you know, this is very important when it comes to the biblical year, the, 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 uh, the, the month of Aviv, and how it's determined and why it must be the first fruits, because, again, it's, it's the first fruits that comes, out, that, that, that comes out of the field. You know, as we see here, the barley must be at first fruits, the first barley to ripen. Now, when I say ripen, it's the barley that, that we can produce flour from. So, so when is that? Well, that's during the soft dough stage, specifically. That's the first stage where you can take a barley and produce flour from that. Now, as a side note, this also began the count of Pentecost, this wave sheet. They were to count 50 days from this time to Pentecost. And by the way, that's where we derive the meaning of Pentecost. It means 50th, 50th. Now, we also know that the wave sheaf consisted of an omer of our barley. Just real quickly, what was an omer of barley? This was about one-tenth of an ephah, about five, ga- uh, five pound, pints, or about a half a gallon. So not a whole lot of barley. Again, just that first fruits, just that initial crop that was ready and uh, ripe for the wave sheaf. So again, the first fruits was a very, very first barley that was able to produce flour from. Now again, we see a connection with this. And Yahshua's resurrection, you might be asking, you know, what, what, is, what does Yahshua's resurrection have to do with barley that's waved by the priest? Where's the connection with this? So, you know, we see a connection with it, and we find evidence for this in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 says, But now is Messiah risen from the dead. So we're talking now about Yahshua's resurrection. Now notice the language it uses here. It says, And be and become the first fruits of them that slept. So we saw the first fruits in the Old Testament. That was, again, the wave sheaf. It was first fruits of the barley harvest. Or we see here first fruits mentioned in, in, in relation to Yahshua's resurrection. It says, For since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so Messiah shall all be made alive, but in every man in his own order. Messiah says are first fruits. The first fruits afterward, they that are Messiah's that is coming. So we find here Paul speaking about Yahshua's resurrection. And that's why this is important today, because we're speaking about Yahshua's resurrection. And it ties into this feast, because again, on this feast, they would offer this wave sheaf offering. And Yahshua, he fulfilled this wave sheaf offering. He became the new wave sheaf. It says here that Yahshua has become the new wave sheaf, the new first fruits of those that slept. Now, the word slept here refers to those in grave. 
those who have died. It goes on to say, for since man came death, but by man it also says came the resurrection of the dead. Where this is referring to Yahshua the Messiah, you see, there's only one man that's been resurrected to eternal life, and that is Yahshua the Messiah. Now, I know that he's not the first to be resurrected. There's been multiple accounts of people being resurrected, but nobody's been resurrected to eternal life, and that's the key. While there's been a resurrection, nobody's been resurrected to eternal life. Yahshua was the only one to be resurrected to eternal life. He is the first fruits. He is the first to be resurrected and to participate in this honor. And this is what makes Yahshua's resurrection so special, much more special than many of the other resurrections we find within Scripture because, again, those people, they were resurrected, and eventually, inevitably, they died. But Yahshua never died. Once Yahshua was resurrected, he continues to live to this day. So just as a wave sheaf was the first fruits of the barley harvest during this feast, Yahshua was resurrected, and he, too, is the first of mankind to be resurrected. He is our first fruits. And I believe that he fulfilled the wave sheaf once he was resurrected. And we're going to read more about that. In fact, we actually see some, some indication of this, I should say. In John chapter 20, verse 10, we see here indication that Yahshua certainly could have fulfilled and was here fulfilling the wave sheaf. So let's read this passage. It says, Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at his feet, where the body of Yahshua was laying. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my master. And I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Yahshua standing. And knew not that it was Yahshua. Yahshua said unto her, Woman, why weep thou? Whom seekst thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if, you, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Yahshua said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. You know, we see several amazing things in this passage. As we see, she went to the tomb, Mary, and she was weeping. She was weeping for Yahshua. She believed that Yahshua was dead. As she looks into the sepulcher, she finds two angels standing, one at the foot and one at the head, of where Yahshua's body had laid. Upon, upon looking, upon seeing these angels and weeping for Yahshua, they ask, Mary, why? Why are you sad? Why are you sad? And, and when this occurred, she looked around, and then she saw Yahshua. But we see here that she believed Yahshua to be simply the gardener. She didn't realize who he was. You know, there's a lot of speculation as to why Mary did not recognize Yahshua. Some say that Yahshua somehow concealed himself. Others believe that maybe her view of Yahshua was obscured, just maybe from a distance or from an angle. You know, before this message, I always kind of believed that it was just a view. You know, maybe her view of Yahshua was obscured. But, you know, looking at this closer, I believe that this was probably something more supernatural. I believe that Yahshua probably concealed himself 
from Mary. And we're going to see evidence of this later. Evidence of this, how Yahshua did conceal himself later on with the uh, apostle or the, the disciples. But um, for me, I, I really think Yahshua probably supernaturally concealed himself at this moment. But the truth is we don't know, and we'll, we'll probably never know exactly. So Now, um, we see here that Yahshua eventually cried out unto Mary, and um, when she heard this, she turned around and said, Rabboni, and that is to say my master. You know, she was, I'm sure at this point, uh, just beyond a flood of emotions. I mean, prior to this, she believed that Yahshua was dead. And now she knows, she sees him, she, she recognizes him, and she realizes that he is not dead, that he is alive. You know, I'm sure she was a bit confused, but I'm sure she was just over the moon. She was beyond excited, realizing for the first time that everything Yahshua said was correct, that he was risen, that he was alive. Now, what do you suppose Yahshua was doing in the garden after his resurrection? I believe that he was presenting himself before Yahweh as the wave sheaf. Just as a priest in the Old Testament would take that wave sheaf and offer that wave sheaf to Yahweh in the Old Testament, I believe that Yahshua, our new high priest after the order of Melchizedek, he was doing the same thing in the garden, that he was, he was waving, he was presenting, he was, he was showing himself as the wave sheaf, as the first fruits of those to be resurrected. And that's why this passage, and that's why this resurrection is so important. And that's why I believe that prophetically it foreshadows the wave sheaf. It foreshadows this first fruits offering that we find in the Old Testament. Yahshua is the first fruits of those to be resurrected from the dead to eternal life. And we find that here in Scripture. And again, he is our high priest. Just as a high priest in the Old Testament waved this, Yahshua is now our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he again presented his body as that wave sheaf in the New Testament. Well, let's now focus and review the resurrection of Yahshua the Messiah. And I'm going to spend all, the, all, all the, the, the remainder of this message looking at this. Now, before we go back, though, and we look at the evangel and uh, his resurrection, I want to talk briefly about the three days and three nights. You know, some people, most people, the large majority of people out there believe that Yahshua died Friday and was resurrected Sunday morning. Is that true? Do we find evidence for this in Scripture? We, we really don't. What we find is that he died at a different day and was in a grave or the heart of the earth for three days, three nights. Now, we know this in part because Yahshua said this. In Matthew 12, verse 40, Yahshua said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, the fish's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he says he would be in the heart of the earth, that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. Such an important prophecy to notice. You know, some people, they do these mental gymnastics trying to make these, this fit, the Friday to Sunday resurrection. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It's this fuzzy math that just does not work under any conditions. But they will start way back as he's coming into Jerusalem or maybe when he's hanging on the stake. No, it says here that he would be in the heart of the earth, that he would be in the tomb of the sepulcher for three days and three nights. So that's when this time began, three days and three nights. And again, we simply cannot get that count between Friday and Sunday morning. So either Yahshua was mistaken, which we know was not the case, or this tradition of Yahshua dying on Friday and being resurrected then on Sunday simply is not true. It's not the case. It's not right. It doesn't add up mathematically. So 
based on Scripture, when did Yahshua die and when was he resurrected? Well, I like actually Luke's evangel with this, Luke 23, 51 through 56. Here's what it says there. The same had not consented to the council of the dead or, uh, and, and deed of them. He was Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of Elohim. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Yahshua. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone where never man before was laid. And that was the preparation of the Sabbath drew on. So the preparation, this is a Passover. Yahshua died on Passover day. I don't think there was any dispute there. And the Sabbath drawn, this is the first high day, high day, not the Sabbath of, of the weekly Sabbath, but the first high day. It says, and the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was lain. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. So, number one, we see here that they rested according to the commandments. So the Sabbath was still very much in effect, contrary to what so many people believe. But based on this passage, the chronology that we find here, when did Yahshua die and when was he resurrected? How do we know? How can we prove when Yahshua died and when he was resurrected? Well, here's a chart showing very simply when Yahshua died and when he was resurrected. So Wednesday would have been Passover. Wednesday would have been Passover. This was Passover day. Yahshua died on the tree around 3 p.m. Joseph of Arimathea laid Yahshua's body in the tomb before sunset. Now, remember that the timing of the three days, three nights began when he was in the heart of the earth. did not begin when he was on the stake, but when he was in the heart of the earth, which, again, took place at the end of Wednesday before sunset. Or Thursday, as I mentioned, this was the first Sabbath or the first high day, which was a high Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So this is what was drawing on, as we see in verse 54. Friday, or this day, is when the women would have prepared ointments and spices. It's the only day they would have had. They could not have done this on Thursday because that was a high day. They could not have done the Sabbath because that was a Sabbath, so they would have done this Friday. And Sabbath then was the weekly Sabbath, and this is when Yahshua was resurrected, and he was resurrected right before the end of the Sabbath at sunset, fulfilling or completing the three days and three nights. So this is a chronology that we find in Scripture. Yahshua was not, again, put to death, and Yahshua didn't die on, on Friday and was resurrected Sunday morning. The math, A, doesn't add up, and B, we simply find the scripture shows otherwise. So I want to move on now and really focus on Yahshua's chronology of his, of his resurrection. You know, this will be a similar to um, what we do during the Passover. You know, we Passover, we go through the evangels, we, we, we go through the account of Yahshua's passion or his his uh, death, or today I want to do the same, but look at the resurrection. So let's begin with Luke 24, Luke 24, verse 1, and it says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, came they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. So in this passage, it says, they came to the sepulcher. Who are they? Who are they? Or they, according to Mark 16.1, would be Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. These would be they that we find here in Luke, the three women. 
So we see here that the three women came to the tomb. Now, why did they come to the tomb? And what were they there, what were they there for? What was the purpose for, them, for their coming? Well, it says here that they came to the tomb on the first day of the week to prepare the spices, to uh, prepare the spices. That's what they were there for. But we see the timing also of their coming. It says, again, first day of the week, early in the morning, early in the morning. So they came Sunday morning. Now, there's some debate as to when the women actually came to the tomb. Some believe that the women came to the tomb Saturday evening after Sabbath had ended. And this is based on a reading, an interpretation of Matthew 20, verse 1, where it says, as it began to dawn toward the first of the week, they will say the word dawn means to draw on. So it was drawing on to the first day of the week, but it was not quite there yet. Well, the problem with this is that, and this is something we've actually, we, we've believed for many years here, and, and uh, last few years we've, we've looked at this, but the problem with this is that all the other, other evangelists say that the women came to the tomb early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. And there's no way to really interpret or the, any other meaning from these other examples. Let me share with you what I mean. So here's Mark and also John. So Mark 16, 1 through 2 says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and, the, and, mother, and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. So here we see the context is pretty clear. It says the first day of the week, early in the morning, at the rising of the sun. And I believe it was dark because of what we find in John, John 20, verse 1 says, In the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So we see in all the evangels, they, they, they really all, all say the same thing, and that is that the women came, the women came early Sunday morning as it was dark. Now, does this prove and or give any credence to Yahshua being resurrected on Sunday morning. That's something I want to kind of dispel now because I'm sure people are kind of saying, or is he, is he saying or indicating that Yahshua could have risen Sunday morning? Absolutely not. This gives no credence to Yahshua rising Sunday morning. You know, as we've already seen, the Bible shows that Yahshua died on Wednesday and was resurrected late on the Sabbath before sunset. That's what we see scripturally. All we see here is that the women came to the tomb later on. Yahshua had already risen. So this doesn't prove anything in regards to when Yahshua rose from the grave. All this proves is that the women came after the Sabbath on the first day of the week as it was early to look at the sepulcher, to look at the grave. Now, why did the women come to the tomb? Or again, they came to the tomb to bring and to anoint the body of Yahshua with the sweet spices. That's the reason they came to the tomb. And again, they would have prepared these Friday because, again, Thursday was a high day. Sabbath was a weekly Sabbath. They would prepare this Friday, and then Sunday they're coming to anoint the body of Yahshua. Now, why the sweet spices? Well, you know, this was done to mask the smell of the uh, decaying corpse. That's why they, they would do this. They would pour this, this, uh, the, these spices upon the body because of the smell. Now, as we see here in Luke uh, 24, verse 2, at this point, though, Yahshua had already risen. So Yahshua was already gone. This is why this really has no bearing on when Yahshua was resurrected, when the women came to the tomb. Two very isolated events. Yahshua was already gone at this point. So uh, Luke 24, 
2 through 11 says, And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the master Yahshua. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be impelled, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And these words that seemed to be as idle tells, and they believed them not. They believed them not. Now, we've already seen some of this from John's evangel. But we see here a few things not mentioned in John. We see here that when the women looked inside the tomb, that they saw two men, it says, with shining garments. Now, from John's evangel, we know that these were two angels. John identifies these as angels, but we see here in Luke, they are called men. Men. But we know that they were angels. Now, when the women saw the angels, we see here that they were afraid. Something we don't really see in John. They were afraid. In fact, it says here that they bowed themselves before these angels because they were fearful. Now, we also see some dialogue between these uh, women and the angels in the uh, grave or the sepulcher that we don't find in John. These angels asked the women why they were looking for the living among the dead. You see, they understood. They knew. They understood that Yahshua was resurrected. And they reminded the women about what Yahshua said while he was yet with them how he spoke about his resurrection. Now, after this, we find here that the women went back to the apostles, went back to the apostles, and shared with them everything that they had seen. Now, how did the apostles respond? How did the apostles respond here? Where, shockingly, they refused to believe. They refused to believe the testimony of these women. Now keep in mind that the women are sharing this with the apostles, Yahshua's closest and most beloved friends. And again, they are refusing to believe their testimony. You know, for me, this fact that the apostles refused to believe that Yahshua rose from the grave is stunning. It's stunning. Especially knowing that Yahshua shared this promise with them while he was yet alive. And this wasn't spoken in parables. This wasn't spoken in Morse code. No, Yahshua told them plainly what would happen. Let's read about this. Luke 18. Luke 18, 31 through 33, says, And he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And he says, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day, what? It says, on the third day, he shall rise again. You know, considering that Yahshua and the apostles were inseparable for about three years, considering also that we find here within the evangel within Luke 18, that they understood this. It's amazing, again, to me, that they 
refused to believe the women. They refused to believe the women and their testimony. Again, considering the relationship and the facts behind this story, it's just even hard to fathom why they were so insistent on not, on not believing that Yahshua had risen. You know, if anything, it shows that they were not fully converted yet. And, um, you know, as we see in Scripture, it wasn't until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when these men really changed. And we see this in the evangels. I mean, they weren't quite the same at this point. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit was poured down upon them when they really changed. And we see this especially with Peter. You know, when Peter was endowed by the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, he got up there, he gave this dynamic message. And as a result, about 3,000 people were immersed into Yahshua's name. And again, it was in large part because of Peter's message. But that was not the Peter we find here. The Peter we find here is a very different man. This man is still very much carnal and unbelieving, as we see in this passage. Now, starting in Luke 24, verse 12, we find that Yahshua appeared now to the apostles. 12 through 17, it says, Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. So I suppose Peter was curious. Was Maybe there was some belief there. It says, And stooping down, he behold the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed wondering in himself at what at that which was come to pass. So even now he was, wasn't really on board. Wasn't really on board. He says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed, Together in reason, Yahshua himself drew near. Now, now, pay attention to what it says here. It says, and went, and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So we see here that even though they were communing face to face with Yahshua, their eyes were, were shut. They did not know that it was Yahshua. said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have to one another as you walk and are sad? You see, they still were, were not believing. They still were not believing. So we find here that after the women came to the tomb, or after the women came to the apostles, that Peter, after listening to their testimony, rushed to the tomb. He rushed to the tomb. And upon arriving at the tomb, he saw the clothes, but no body. Because again, as we know, Yahshua had already risen at this time, at this point. Now upon not seeing the body, Peter left wondering what had happened Again, Peter at this point was still disbelieving. He still did not believe that Yahshua had risen. Now we also see here two of the disciples traveled to the city about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now based on verse 18, we know that one of the disciples here was Clopas or Alphaeus, the father of the apostle James. The other disciple here is Unknown. Nobody knows who this was. Some speculate that was Luke, and maybe Luke here was being immodest, not including his name in the text. Others believe that it was Peter, but again, based on the narrative, we really don't know who the other disciple was. We simply know that there were two. two. Now, the other thing we find here is that Yahshua seemed to conceal who he was. He closed their eyes where they did not know who he was. Again, it says here their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Yahshua asks here why 
they were so sad. You know, why are you so concerned? Again, we find here that they still did not believe. They still did not believe that Yahshua had rose from the grave. They still believed that Yahshua was dead, even after everything that had occurred. Now, starting in verse 18, we see that Yahshua would make himself known, that he would make himself known now to the apostles. Luke 24, 18, it says, And the one of them, whose name was Clopas, answering, said unto him, Aren't thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? They had no clue. The disciples here, these two disciples, they had no clue that this was Yahshua the Messiah. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Yahshua of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before Elohim and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and having impelled him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Besides all this, two days, a third day since these things were done, yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished. So certain women, they came. So we see here the testimony of the women, which were early at the sepulcher. So early in the morning, they were at the sepulcher. And when they found out his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Messiah have to have suffered these things and to enter into glory. You know, even now they did not realize that it was Yahshua. Here we find this stranger coming to these disciples and chastising them because of their unbelief. I'm not sure what, what they thought about this when this happened, but they were still clueless, I believe, based on the narrative. And it says, in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, Yahshua expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and break and gave it and gave to them. And their eyes, finally, their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while well, he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? So we see here that they believed that Yahshua was simply a stranger. That Yahshua was simply somebody they met by the roadside. And they were unaware of, and that he was unaware of what had happened to this Yahshua who died for the hands of the Romans. Now there's a few points here I want to consider. Number one, the disciples here recognized Yahshua as a prophet. It says here that he was mighty in word and deed. Recognized Yahshua as a prophet. Number two, they also believed that he was going to redeem Israel, it says. Now, what does it mean to redeem Israel? What, is, what does it mean? What, what were they really referring to here? Or many of the Jews believed that the Messiah would come 
and that he would relieve them of the Roman occupation. That's what they were looking for. Many of the Jews, and that's the same thing today, the Jews today are looking for somebody, a Messiah-like figure, who will come and redeem them from their enemies. And that's what the Jews were looking for during the time of, of, of Yahshua's day, and this included some of his own disciples, as we see here, that they believed that they believed that the Messiah, that Yahshua would redeem Israel, that they, they would free them from this Roman occupation. And this wasn't the purpose of Yahshua's coming. Yahshua's coming at this point was to redeem mankind, but not of occupation, not of physical occupation, but of sin. Yahshua's coming was to redeem mankind of sin. And he did that. Yahshua redeemed mankind of sin when he died and was resurrected from the grave. Now, when Yahshua returns, we do find that he will return, and he will fight against the armies of the earth, and he will restore Israel to the land, just as we find in the prophets. So what the Jews believe is not far-fetched. It is not something we do not find in Scripture. It is something the Scripture speaks about. The Scripture speaks about two comings, and you have to be able to isolate and understand the purpose of both comings. And the Jews did not. The Jews emphasized this Messiah warrior-like figure who would again come to defeat the armies of the earth and restore the land back to the Jews, to the Israelites. Well, that is what he will do at his second coming, but not his first. His first coming again was to die for the sins of mankind, to offer redemption to mankind, to die and to be resurrected and give us the same hope of the resurrection to come. I want to review now one of the uh, passage I consider to be very problematic. And uh, this is a passage that many will use to support, support Sunday worship. Now, in verse 21, it says, Today is the third day since these things were done. Verse 21. Now, as you can imagine, many Jews, or many Jews, many people will use this to justify Sunday worship. They will say, look, it's saying here that this day was the third day. So what do we know from this passage? Or from Luke 24, verse 1, we know that this was this event, verse 21, is occurring on Sunday. That verse 21 is happening on Sunday, the first day of the week. You know, after reviewing this a bit closer, I believe there's a pretty simple explanation here with this passage. The word uh, sense, the word sense, comes from the Greek apo, and it's a primary uh, particle meaning off, that is away from something near. Now, one of the ways the King James translates this word, it's a very broad word, meaning, one of the ways the King James understands this and translates this is, is after, after. So one of the ways we can render this Greek word is after. You know, this passage, I believe, should be rendered this way. Today is the third day after these things have, had, um, were done. Referring to the day after Yahshua's resurrection, which would be Sunday. So if we... So if we Use after instead of since, which again agrees with the Greek. It makes sense because this would be after the third day, the fourth day, which would be Sunday. You know, while I consider this again to be somewhat problematic and no way does it provide, as we see, concrete evidence for a Sunday resurrection, especially when we consider what Yahshua said about three days and three nights being in the tomb in the heart of the earth, and also the chronology we find within Scripture. So again, just to sort of reinforce this, the word sense in the Greek 
can, and I believe in this case it should, be rendered after. So this passage would say two days, the third day, after these things were done. Very simple explanation that agrees with agreed. Now, what else do we see here? What else do we find? We're after inquiring from the disciples. Yahshua here reprimands them by saying, you fools and slow in heart. Again, they believe that this man was simply a stranger, someone they met by the roadside, where he then explains from Torah and the prophets how the, how Mo, how the Messiah would uh, suffer and that how he would then rise to glory. Now, at this point, again, they were still unaware of who this man was, unaware that they were speaking to the Messiah himself. Now, near evening, they invited Yahshua to stay with them. As they went in and sat, Yahshua blessed the meal, and as he gave them some bread and a meal, their eyes were opened. And as quickly as their eyes were opened, Yahshua vanished. Yahshua vanished from their sight very, very quickly. He was gone. It says here that they burned in themselves, within themselves, as they were with Yahshua. You know, even though Yahshua had concealed himself, I think we see here that their spirit was moving in, inside. They, they probably knew that something was special about this man, even though Scripture says that their eyes were closed, that he had concealed who he was. We see here that something about this man was different. And as it says here, that they burned within as they spoke to this man. Now, starting in verse 33, we see that Yahshua would now appear before the eleven. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The master is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known to them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Yahshua himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposing that they had seen a spirit, and he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is what I myself handle me. And see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as you see me have. And when he hath thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. So, in this passage, we find the two disciples immediately returning to Jerusalem to convey what they had seen to the eleven. Now remember that Judas Iscariot was no longer amongst them, so there were no more twelve. There were only eleven remaining. And as they shared the news, Yahshua appeared, it says, in the room with the apostles and stood in the middle of them. Now how did the apostles respond to this? How did the apostles respond to Yahshua appearing to them in the room? Where it says here that they were frightened, they were afraid. They thought that they were seeing a spirit or an apparition. To make them believe, Yahshua to show them his hands and his feet, to show them the, the holes, his wrist, to show them where the holes were from the nails. You know, when you think about everything the apostles knew at this point, remembering that Yahshua spoke about his own resurrection while he was yet with them, and everything that they had witnessed since this point, they had the testimony of the women. They had the testimony of the two 
disciples, and yet they still, they still do not believe. They still are having issues with accepting that Yahshua had risen from the grave. You know, they were with him for three years. And evidently, they never really understood the purpose for his coming. They never understood the real purpose for his coming and what he would accomplish. His purpose was to die for the sins of mankind and to provide an example, to provide a redemption for man's sins. They never understood that. They never understood that he would die for the sins of mankind and then be resurrected to eternal life. Now in verse 41, we see finally, finally, that they're willing to accept Yahshua. After all of this, after all the many, many witnesses and testimonies, finally, they're willing to accept him. So let's read about this. Luke 21 or 24, verse 41, it says, And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. So we see here the spirit beings can eat, just as a side note. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, Concerning me, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written. You know, a lot of people, they, they ask over the years, I've had, why can't my good Uncle Joe see the truth? You know, sometimes I do believe that Yahweh just doesn't open their eyes. You know, here we see Yahshua standing, standing before the opponent. They, they didn't get it. I mean, these guys knew Yahshua better than anybody. They, they were just, just um, more unbelieving. Because Yahshua had not opened their eyes. But once he opened their eyes, he saw the truth. And that's the same thing today. You know, there's many, many people out there. They don't see it. They may understand that Yahweh is a name, but they don't see any importance because Yahweh hasn't opened their eyes. You see, Yahweh must open their eyes. That's such an important truth to understand as believers. Because I know there are people get people are so frustrated with this. You know, why can't my spouse see it? Why can't my kids see it? Why can't my friends see it? Or Yahweh must open their eyes. You know, Scripture speaks about, you know, Paulus and, 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 and Paul watering and, 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 and planting. But it says that Yahweh gives the increase. Yahweh is the one who opens the eyes. And we see that here. That Yahweh is the one who opened the eyes of the apostles. And he's the one that opens the eyes of all those who come to him. And in this case, we find that he did so through his son. It says, any opened he their understanding that they may or might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tear you the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Well, this is referring to Acts 2, to the day of Pentecost. They were told, don't go anywhere until you receive the Spirit. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he, was, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing Elohim. Amen. 
You know, after eating some fish and honeycomb, we see here that Yahshua opened the apostles' eyes, finally. Finally, they understood. After being with Yahshua for three years, I believe that this was the first time they really understood the true purpose, the true intent of his coming. Not until now did they fully understand the mission that the Messiah had. We see here that Yahshua used the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms to explain and support who he was, the mission, the purpose, and the reason for his coming. Which shows to me that these books and these, this uh, Old Testament is still very much relevant to us today. You know, just for a moment, imagine what it must have been like for the apostles here. Not only was Yahshua alive, but again, they were fully, fully understood. They, they, they fully understood at this point the reason and purpose for his coming. You know, I'm sure at this moment that they were completely overwhelmed and full of emotion. They probably did not even know what to think. You know, just, just from the, the emotional standpoint, it was probably hard for them to even process what was happening as they realized that the one they were with for three years was, was standing before them, once dead, but now very much alive. You know, we see here that when they got to Bethany, that Joshua lifted up his hands and blessed them. And after this, it says that he was taken up into heaven. Again, this one event. I believe that this is one of the most transformative events within the history of mankind. It wasn't only Yahshua's death. You know, if we stop at Yahshua's death, we have no hope. We must continue on beyond Yahshua's death. Because it's not Yahshua's death that brings hope. It's the fact that he was resurrected is what brings hope. If Yahshua is dead and gone in the grave, there's no hope. We have no Savior. He died. But Yahshua was resurrected. Yahweh resurrected his son. That's what scripture says. And through that resurrection, we have a great hope. And that great hope gives us the promise of our resurrection. That's what scripture says. It gives us the hope of our resurrection. You know, imagine being one of the apostles and watching Yahshua ascend into heaven. You know, besides his second coming, I can't think of anything better than seeing our Savior rise into heaven after being risen from the grave. Can you? Is there anything better? Would there be anything better to see and so overwhelming than to see Yahshua? He's standing right here in front of us, and he's preaching to us, and he's explaining to us, and he's divulging to us. And then we walk with him, and as we go down the road, he stops. He blesses us, and then as we watch him, he literally begins to rise into the heavens. This is the promise of the resurrection, and this is why this feast is so important. You know, it's important that we remove the leavening. There's a lot of meaning in leavening. A lot of meaning in leavening. It's important that we talk about his death. But it's equally important, and maybe even more so, I believe, that we talk about his resurrection during this time. Because if we don't talk about his resurrection, we're stopping and we're not explaining and, 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 and expounding upon the most important truth there is. And that is that Yahshua is risen. He is risen from the grave. We don't stop at the death. We continue on. And we talk about during this time, the Passover represents his death. This feast represents his resurrection. And it's a completion of that redemption and salvation model that Yahshua fulfilled through his death. When he was resurrected from the grave, he became the first fruits of those to be resurrected. 
to eternal life. But it says there in 1 Corinthians that we too will be resurrected at his coming, at his coming. Paul in Romans 6 verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which occurs when, where this happens for us at baptism. At baptism, when we submerge ourselves in that water, we die symbolically to our old man, and that is reflective of Yahshua's own death. But when we're immersed, we find here, when we die, we find here that we will also rise and share in the likeness, in the same way of his resurrection. What an amazing truth. What an amazing promise that we find here. That someday we will rise. We will be changed. We will be spirit. We will not suffer. We will be blessed. And it's all predicated, all based on the promise that we're reading about today. The promise and the fact that Yahshua was resurrected. The Passover, he died. On the feast, he received the victory over death. In like manner, we too should receive the victory over death. The Passover and the feast were all about redemption, all about salvation, all about the process of being saved through our Savior. You know, without the events of this feast, of these appointed times, we would still be lost in our sins. Let us remember that. Let us remember why this time is so important. Let us remember that our Savior rose from the grave on this feast and that he offers eternal redemption to all those who pursue and follow him. Whereas it is our custom, I'd like to close now, pronouncing a very special blessing. You know, I consider this the most important blessing in all of Scripture. Number six, so if you'd all stand, you can hold out your arms, you can bow in prayer, or whatever you do, I'd encourage you to receive this blessing. It's very, very important, as we find. Number six, see, known as the ironic blessing. Yahweh Rekeka Yahweh Vayesh Mareka Yair Yahweh Penevelaka Vukuneka that is to say, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his face toward you and give you peace. Hallelujah.